Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Team Preview Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hart. ready to talk all things Seattle Seahawks. Maybe if you're a Seahawks fan, well, I'm not even going to say maybe. You've had a pretty terrible offseason. Certainly wasn't a good 2021 season as well. But we are here to hopefully give some semblance of optimism about at least a player or two across this offense. That's about as well as I can dress it up. So joining me, as always, none other than PFS Finest, Dwayne The Rock McFarland. Dwayne, this is our 24th team preview. Look at us. Great day to be here. Yeah, man. Doesn't it feel like, yeah, to to have these out here for everyone to kind of consume like as kind of baseline information. Yeah, some of this stuff will change, but a lot of these things that we're talking about now, people can still always go back, refer to. And I know for you, like writing it and you and you're you're so right about this writing, writing. You I don't have to write to do my research and understand things, but writing brings clarity like to the situation writing forces you to figure out how do you how do you now make this information that you've looked at actionable right and how can someone actually take something from it and so yeah i love the work that you know we've done again some of the takes will change over the summer but like for me going through when i do my projections and i tell people this all the time doing projections themselves like i don't look at them as the bible of how i'm going to rank a player but man what comes out of it is the things I learn about the team because it forces me to go so deep into the team and think through everything that I just come out with a better understanding. And so hopefully that's what we've been able to get across like in these episodes. And I know, and sometimes we don't have a super hot take on some of these guys, right? We're just like, look, this is the range they're going to fall on. We fall in. We need more information, but we're also just sharing our process. Like, because there are certain, I'm going to do an article before training camps kick off, pick, you know, kick off that, and I love doing this every year. Like, here's one thing we want to know about every team. Yep. This is one thing that we're really going to be paying attention to for every team. Some teams may deserve two or three things. Um, some teams, you know, I'll have to force one. But typically, it'll boil down to, like, there's really 10 super interesting things that we're trying to track through training camp, you know, outside of injuries and other things that are going to happen that we'll obviously have to react to. But things we're going in because we've done this work saying, huh, I need to really think about that. Like, the Eagles, you know, could they throw the ball more like that matters a freaking ton for fantasy football. When you think about where AJ Brown's going, Dallas Goddard's going, Jalen Hurts can live on his own. Doesn't matter. But where Devonta Smith's going and the way that you're going to treat, are you going to stack those players or not in drafts? Like we really do need to know, is there any inkling that they actually really could throw the ball more? And so that's something I'm going to be hyper-focused on in training camp. Sorry. I know you weren't planning all the, all, the, <laughs> all of that, like, but it just came out. You're good, man. No, and that's, that's always been the goal line of all 32 teams to start the offseason because as great as it is to talk about you know how running back x looked in ot freaking a's you know with not even pads on yet like mike mccarthy and ron rivera catching some strays here apparently they're turning up their practices more than they should be but yeah we're gonna have so much uh training camp news and preseason news we're gonna have a bunch of beat reporters on the podcast i just wanted to give us a good baseline of these teams and then of course we'll be talking about them again throughout the rest of the offseason but then hopefully having this baseline, we can then get into the nitty gritty even more than we are doing. So now, of course, with the ultimate goal always being to win you, our lovely listeners, a bunch of money playing fantasy football, maybe just maybe have a good time as we're doing it. So with that usual team preview structure here, going to be talking about the notable offseason moves from both a coaching staff and player perspective before going through quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end, touching on every single fantasy relevant player along the way. So 
head coach Pete Carroll back for his 13th year leading the Seahawks once again joined by Dwayne's favorite offensive coordinator Shane Waldron who worked as the Rams passing game coordinator from 2018 to 2020 before taking over the Seahawks in 2021 so obviously anyone with the Rams and we see this with the 49ers as well like teams that have a head coach working as the play caller it's hard to necessarily discern what's the difference between their offensive philosophy and the head coach so with Waldron we only have a one-year sample and you know he did have Russell Wilson dealing with the broken middle finger for a good portion of it with that said 21st in pass play rate in non-garbage time situations at 59.7 percent and Dwayne it's it's an interesting situation because usually we talk about situation neutral pace and the higher the better and the Seahawks did actually rank eighth uh, in terms of just their frequency of trying to seconds per play basically but Nobody ran fewer overall plays on the year than Seattle at 954. Obviously pretty tough to score points when you don't have the football. So talk about some of the issues uh, with Waldron's offense that led to Seattle. I think you said them versus the Bills, like the Bills literally almost ran two full games more worth of plays last year. Yeah, so the big problem for Seattle was really just the quality of their offense. Time of pos- even though that their pace was solid, time of possession only 42%. That's the worst in the NFL. So Jeez. when you can't make first downs, the offense is also running slow anyway, um, you know, due to well, when I say running slow, like even though their pace is fine, like how much they run the ball also just drains clock, right? So so even though like they're not getting to hold the the clock the ball a lot, when they do have it, they're still running enough and they're draining clock. Like it's just it's like this, it's it's like this uh you know self-fulfilling prophecy, like one thing leading to the other over and over. It's like this loop that they're caught in. We didn't expect Shane what we wanted from Shane Waldron last year was the hope was wow. Maybe they bring a little bit of that up tempo from the Rams or at least, you know, be, you know, at the league average from the number of plays, you know, and the way that they want to approach it, maybe throw the ball a little bit more. And really just none of those things came true. Like, and to put it all into context, you know, um, because context matters, Ian, looking at last year for the uh, Seahawks, they ran 945 total plays. Okay. So that comes out to be 55.6 plays per game. The NFL average over the last three years is 63.4. And also, folks, like if this is not matching numbers you're seeing, remember, I remove overtime because we can't predict it, right? So I don't want to know about it in the past. I don't want to know about it in the future. I just want to base this on regulation play. So the average NFL team ran 1,078 plays is what that means. The Seahawks ran 945. If you divide that by the NFL average of 63.4 per game, that means the Seahawks ran two less games than the average NFL team in plays. So that means you as the fantasy player, you lose not quite two games of production because you're probably playing a 17 game instead of an 18 week season for your fantasy championship. But you know, you're pretty, overall, pretty freaking close. You're losing two versus a team like the bills. Bills ran, <laughs> the bills ran three extra games worth of plays versus the Seahawks. That is huge for fantasy football, man. Like that means Gabriel Davis can like, could compete with a guy like DK Metcalf just, just by getting three extra games. Right. And they're not close as far as talent goes, but when you got the quarterback, that's so much better, you know, for the, and, and again, Russ was playing hurt last year. There was time with Gino. We'll get into the other quarterbacks for this year, you know, soon, but this is just, this is huge. I, I don't think it can be this bad again, Ian. So that's the positive. If we're trying to find like the silver lining, like I think the Seahawks can maybe at least get back to 60, but we have to have concerns because a lot of the same issues that challenged them last year are still here. We have the same head coach. We've got the same offensive coordinator. Um, we lose Russell Wilson. 
Um, you go draft a running back with one of your early picks. You bring back Rashad Penny on a, it sounds to me like you want a ground and pound and you're not a very good team. Like, so that's the worry. And that's the other thing. Like they were 21st in the non-garbage time pass play rate. But if you look at the starts where Russ was out and it was more of the Geno Smith experience, they did drop all the way to 28. So could just see them with a worse overall team trying to actually run the ball more in 2022. Seahawks going to Seahawks sometimes. So let's go through some of the personnel moves. Quarterback Russell Wilson obviously traded to the Broncos. Drew Locke, Noah Fant, Shelby Harris, 2022, 2023 first round picks and second round picks alongside 2022 fifth round pick in exchange for Russell Wilson and a fourth round pick. Obviously been anyone's idea of a top 10, if not top five quarterback since entering the league in 2012. They did go ahead and acquire Drew Locke. And while he does mix in the occasional big time throw, yeah, 25 touchdowns against 20 picks and 21 starts, not exactly a great start to the career Alex Collins remains an unrestricted free agent 27 year old veteran running back I've always enjoyed Alex Collins run, r- rushing style he's one of these guys that are actually reverse field from time to time and is elusive enough to do it but yeah it could just be tough for him to land back on a roster same thing with running back Adrian Peterson who remains an unrestricted free agent never forget Dwayne Seahawks signed Adrian Peterson because they were in win now mode can't forget that awesome NFL network report I just don't know how we could have gotten through him aging peterson or adrian oh adrian but maybe a little freudian slip there from your boy I, it sounded like you said aging peterson <laughs> to be fair ap did have to you know he had 11 carries for 16 yards and a touchdown and then he had the back injury that took him out for the rest of the year but doesn't look like he'll be back in Seattle this year. Never say never, though, I guess. Wide receiver Marquise Goodwin did sign a one-year $1.2 million deal with the, with the Seahawks. Track star has averaged 16.5 yards per reception during his career. We'll see if he makes a roster. And at tight end, mentioned how they did acquire Noah Fant from the Broncos as part of the Wilson trade. Also did lose Gerald Everett in free agency to the Chargers couple skill position notes to talk about in the draft biggest one obviously Kenneth Walker being added with the 41st overall pick nobody's debating Walker's ability Dwayne I know you have some fantastic stats about just how immune he was like to different uh types of rushing schemes like just he did everything so well and we'll talk about him more in the running back section the argument was more so about like how he fits in since they already have Rashad Penny there and Chris Carson as we'll get to though Chris Carson maybe won't even be playing football again also add a pair of seventh round skill position talents and Rutgers wide receiver bill melton and lenore ryan tight end derek young neither guy is a lock to make the final roster though just tough to feel too good about any seventh rounder regardless of who they are so with that in mind let's get to these quarterbacks and dwayne gino is pretty damn good in his starts now we can put some context here at context matters as you like to tell the people uh but look he comes in off the bench against the rams goes Keep some competitive. Like they end up losing, but Geno Smith on like a Thursday night game against the Rams was hitting ice in the vein, Selly, in the fourth quarter. Like that's all you need to know. It wasn't going that bad. He looked okay enough. The next week, three point loss to the Steelers. Then they have a three point loss to the Saints. And then they blow out the Jaguars where he went 20 for 24, two touchdowns, 195 yards. Like just overall on the year, he was okay. 18th among 44 quarterbacks with at least 100 dropbacks. He was actually sixth in QB rating, 103 QB rating. Russ was at 103.1. Now, just, just what they were last year. I know Russ was hurt. It's just, again, I'm not trying to put Russ down. Just more so good for Geno, man. Big time throw rate. He was third. Turnover worthy play rate. He was eighth. Second highest adjusted completion rate in the league. It's a small sample, but Geno was pretty good last year. The problem, Dwayne, is we really don't care because this still didn't translate to anything close to usable fantasy value. QB 26, 23, 20, and QB 8 in those four games. Now, why, as a lifelong Drew Locke stand, am I talking about 
Geno Smith first, because apparently he is leading the competition right now, specifically from Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll. The last time they asked him, he said that Geno Smith is quote unquote still ahead of Drew Locke. Also add the caveat though, it's not going to be too much for Drew to be caught up. By the time we get through camp, he'll be there. He's really bright. It makes sense to him. He's really sharp in the huddle and at the line of scrimmage and all of that. So it just it's just the time that he needs. There's nothing we can do but gain some more of that. So Dwayne, Gino versus Drew Locke, the quarterback battle none of us wanted. Who do you think wins, or is it just going to be like Baker Mayfield or something? Well, I think the hope is it's Jimmy Garoppolo or Baker Mayfield. Um, to be honest, yeah. um, I don't, <clears throat> I don't have faith really in either player, you know, and I, I don't think either, if, if whoever wins the battle in camp won't be the starter by like week five, like it'll be the other dude, it'll be the other dude, like, cause they're going to be losing this, this team that's projected to win under six games. One of the very few, um, you know, and they've got a really tough schedule. Like, honestly, I could see the Seahawks win two games. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not joking. Like if I were to bet, if you told me, Girl, Girl Scouts coming to Dorian says, Dwayne, you have to bet the under on one team in the NFL, you know, for, you know, their wins. But they had the, the caveat being they have to already be projected for like six or less. I, I think I would really struggle to not pick the Seahawks. I just I don't like the coaching staff. I don't like the quarterbacks. I love DK Metcalf. You know, I lo- I like Kenneth Walker as a player. I like Rashad Penny as a player. But just overall, like, I just don't see how this team is going to be relevant when they've got to play against the freaking AFC West in the NFC West, like it, I, it could very easily be two wins. This is a tough, tough, tough schedule. Um, my, my prediction is Pete Carroll's fired after this year because he's just going to get his ass kicked all over. It's going to be so strong that the, the, the ownership can't do anything about it anymore. They'll have to fire Pete Carroll. I don't think you're wrong with anything he just said. Looking at the teams that have a win total of six or less, Jaguars, Panthers, Seahawks are at five and a half, Jets five and a half, Falcons at five, Texans at four and a half. Yeah, like I think the Seahawks should be right there with the Texans, honestly. Five and a half, maybe giving a little bit too much respect, honestly, to what Russ and company <laughs> were able to accomplish over the years. Real quick with Drew Locke. 51 quarterbacks with 300 dropbacks over the last three years. He's 37th in PFF passing grade, 44th in QB rating, 48th in just completion rate. But why I enjoy the man, 10th in big time throw rate and 43rd in turnover worthy play rate. He will make some legit great throws, maybe just one, but he will make a great throw, sometimes two over the course of a 60 minute game, but then almost always make just as many terrible plays. So unfortunately, and like I, I picked Teddy to beat Drew Locke in the QB competition last year, because like Drew Locke is not made to win training camp QB competitions. He's a gamer, Dwayne. He plays better. I don't know if he plays better with the bright lights, but like his type of play style, it sounds good. It's not conducive to like seven on sevens and shit during practice with someone like Gino who knows the system and is just gonna, he's going to make the safe throw while Drew Locke tries to do Drew Locke things and just ends up on the bench again. So while I would love to see Drew Locke out there instead of Gino, because I think the bat, the the Seahawks are going to be bad either way. They could at least be entertainingly bad with Drew Locke out there. But unfortunately, Dwayne, just like Gino, we don't have any evidence of Drew Locke giving us a sort of fantasy upside to care about. Ruby says Drew Locke. Uh, Nora called KJ Hamler the other day. So like, just, let's just let it be noted for what it's worth folks. Ruby does say Drew lock. All right, let's let's get the positive vibes going a little more here. Let's talk some running backs. Rashad Penny, Kenneth Walker, Chris Carson, DJ Dallas, and Travis Homer. 
I think at this point we should just assume Chris Carson is not going to be a part of the team. Unfortunately, just one of the, you know, it reminds me of Marion Barber RIP the way that he just runs the ball. And he's been such a joy to watch over the years when he, Chris Carson literally flipped over that Panthers player a couple years ago and landed on his feet. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where like when he beat out Rashad Penny as a seventh round pick versus the first first rounder, people weren't like scoffing at it. They were like, Chris Carson's freaking good. Looks like the Seahawks kind of made the right decision there. Has not been clear to take part in minicamp, though, coming off of neck surgery. It looks bad. Carroll's quote on the matter was this. Our guys love this game that they were that they grow up playing, and when they sense that there may be an end to it, it's hard, it's difficult, and it's real. And we're going to love him through it and help him as much as possible, if that's the case, like we do with everybody when it comes to the end of it. It's inevitable, it's coming, but it's always too soon, so we're trying to fight that off. That's like the least good-sounding update I've ever heard on Chris Carson. And shame on Pete Carroll for last year when Carson got put on IR at the end of the season for saying that he expected him back in training camp in the first place. Like, just don't put a timeline on it. It's okay. We don't need one when it's a neck surgery. Just say this or that you're looking out for his best interest. I get so tired of the optimistic timelines for a career-ending injury like this, Dwayne. So, that's, I mean, I think that's just it, though. Like, we, I don't know how we can expect Chris Carson to play this year. I don't think we should. Yeah, I, I don't have him anywhere, you know, in my, in my ranks. You know, he's, he's, I'm assuming that he's not going to be able to play. And I, and I agree. Look, Pete Carroll is as positive as they come. <laughs> so for him to say this, like, I just, it's, I, I'm pretty sure, uh, unfortunately, I really like, you know, uh, Chris Carson, you know, as a player, but needs to take care of his own body, man, take care of his health at this point, you know, fortunate enough to get to play the game, you know, and make a little bit of money doing it. And then now go, go, go do you, man, live your best life. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll hope that maybe we're wrong. Right. And he surprises us and he's able to come back and be healthy. But yeah, the way I'm treating him for fantasy right now is just not a factor. And apologies for saying, let's get some positive vibes going. And then immediately talking about Chris Carson, never playing football again, potentially. I wanted to say good things about Rashad Penny. Wanted to say good things about Rashad Penny. So bad transition by me. I'll watch the film and get better. But now seriously, positive vibes about Rashad Penny last year. My God, man. And, and look, look to get Penny some credit. Like he came in as a rookie. He averaged over five yards per carry. Like the next year against the Steelers, I remember week two, like before he got hurt, just looking like a cannon, like looking like he was shot out of a cannon on a couple of these runs. Like Rashad Penny has always, I maintain he's always been good. He just had the injury bug, unfortunately. Hasn't been able to stay healthy until last year. Started in week 14, faced the Texans, Rams, Bears, Lions, and Cardinals down the stretch. RB3, RB42, RB9, RB1, and RB4. I'm sure it helped when you listeners a lot of fantasy football championships there and the playoffs overall among 50 running backs with at least hundred carries. He was eighth in PFF rushing grade number one in yards per carry 6.3 yards per carry. I mean, we have Pollard, Nick Chubb, Jonathan Taylor, even Miles Sanders, second place of 5.5 yards after contact per carry again, first at 4.5 missed tackles force per carry 0.23 tied for seventh. Now, Dwayne, we didn't get exactly a workhorse role down the stretch. That's the only problem. Like the snap counts for these games, 41%, 57%, 42%, 54%, 64%, and 74%. We still saw DJ Dallas, Travis Homer taking some of the snaps, but you know, Carroll's already said that they're going to enter the season giving Penny the chance to start. You know, he's quote unquote earned that. Wouldn't be the first time we've seen them sit, you know, an early drafted running back on the bench to start their career. I think that Rashad Penny is going to have every chance to run away with his job from the start, whether he'll be healthy enough to do so for an extended period of time remains to be seen. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. I, I don't think he's going to get the chance like to run away with it, but maybe he will. I, I think it's, 
it's a definite unknown. Um, he did, you know, even though, you know, the snaps weren't crazy good, like, you know, the rushing attempts down the stretch, 59%, 52%, 71%, 66%, 79%. Those were all really good. But again, it doesn't necessarily matter because, you know, they've drafted Kenneth Walker. So I expect to see both of them be involved. What I'll still, what I will say with Penny, you know, even though like it's been sporadic, like if you kind of group together all of his games and you just you look back, um, you know, where he's had at least 12 touches, you know, in a game. He's done it eight times in four seasons. And here are his fantasy points he's delivered in those games. 16.8, 18.9, 26.7, 26.8, 6.4. There's a dud. There's always going to be a dud. 19.5, 32.5, and 25 last year. Those he's two good. Last ones at the end. Yeah, so he's a good player. The problem is we don't have Russell Wilson. So the offense is going to take a step backwards as far as like what we think their touchdown upside can be. I think you also have Kenneth Walker. I honestly, I would put Kenneth Walker as the lead back with Penny, you know, more if I was splitting them, you know, which I did in my projections, I put Walker, you know, as the lead back, I put Walker at 45%. I've got Rashad Penny at like 40, like just under like 37.5%. And then I've got, you know, some of the other guys, you know, working in and you got to leave room for the quarterbacks to have some rushing plays as well. So I don't even have either one of them at 50% of the backfield because typically when you have two guys that are really close, that's what it's going to look like. It usually, it, if you if they're close, it doesn't come out as like fifty to forty five. You can't do that because then you have no room left for the for the quarterback rushing attempts. And then we know we got to you know DJ Dallas has got to get on the field a little bit. <laughs> you know we got some of these other guys that got to get out there. Um, Travis Homer, you know, got to got to get Travis Homer snaps. Pete Carroll because you got to smack that gum. You got to stay positive. You got to keep you know those guys on the field. So um, yeah, it's it's. I originally, and again, I'm updating my ranks today and I'm, I'm, I'm torn. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not moving Penny anywhere. Like he's going as the second back. And I think I would continue to take him that way on the team. Um, but I'm just really torn about how much upside really is there a team that we think is going to be trailing all the time, two guys that are going to continue to take carries away from one another. And neither one of them really have a strong passing game profile. Like if, if I was to make a bet on the passing game profile, we have seen Penny, in the past, we saw him for brief little stretches actually serve as their passing down back back in the day when they had, uh, you know, also uh, Mike Davis was on the team and you had Rashad Penny and then you also had Chris Carson. Um, we have that so, two game. It's like a two game sample size from 2018 when Carson and Penny were splitting. Maybe it's 2019. Yeah, I think it was 2018, actually. Okay. Um, so <laughs> it's, you know, I don't know the way they're exactly going to use these players. And I, the more I sit here and think about it, you know. I'm just like, what's the ceiling here in a two down banger? Even if they win the whole role, a two down banger in an offense that we basically, you know, I don't want to say we hate it, but we really don't like it. Like, so I'm, I'm kind of struggling. I think we can use the H word here. I think we hate the Seahawks offense. I think that's a reasonable, reasonable thing to say, Dwayne. Uh, It's one of these situations where it's Penny versus, uh, you know, what's the answer between Penny versus Walker? It very well might just be, no, because of everything you just brought up. And it's not even just necessarily about their – I think Penny can catch the ball, and I'm not going to say that Walker can't just because Michigan State didn't ask him to. But the problem is, like, I don't think that Geno or Drew Locke is all of a sudden going to elevate this the pass-catching running back in this offense. They don't usually throw the ball to running backs. Maybe it was a rust thing, but, again, I, I think it would be a big leap of faith to assume that's going to change. Last year, just 14% of Seattle's team target share went to the running backs. Only the Rams, 49ers, and Ravens were actually lower on the season. So, Rashad Penny, 
right now he's going RB 39 to underdog. I'm just going to be a little bit lower the consensus on both these guys. I have RB 42. There is a path to success, but he's going to need to dominate really everything. And while I do think he starts off the year as a starting running back, I think uh, sooner rather than later, it's going to be split, if not even all the way turned over to Kenneth Walker. Let's talk some Walker, though, because he is a pretty fun prospect. Taking aside the fact they use a second-round pick on him. Like, that's – I love my employer. Thank you, PFF, for paying me to talk about football every day. But, man, we're just not helping ourselves when every time a running back goes in the second round, we need to beat the same damn damn dead horse every single time. That's all. Like, I get it. There's probably better ways of using draft capital. But can we just talk about running back performance and not immediately go, like, the salary? Like, Dwayne, what if, like, every single article you wrote, I was just like, yeah, but is that really good enough relative to how much you're being paid right now? Like, can we just take it at face value for a second? With that said, let's talk about some of the nice things that, Mike Renner and the PFF draft crew said about uh, Kenneth Walker in our lovely draft guide where he wins everywhere in a word everywhere. It's what makes him so dangerous. He can lower shoulder one play outrun a defender on another and shake one on the next all around dynamic player. What's his role? Bell cow. Walker can quite clearly handle a bell cow role. He's scheming the uses diverse. He can fill whatever role, it's, uh, whatever role a team needs where he can improve pass protection. Walker has to buy in as a pass blocker to see a bell cow role in the NFL coaches at the next level. Won't let him see the field on passing downs with what you put on tape as a pass blocker in 2021. Dwayne, when we were talking really all things rookies and stuff in March, you did some great work on Walker being better than Brees Hall and basically every concept. And you'd also like, just text me at like midnight, like, God, dude, have you seen these like Kenneth Walker highlights? I'm not sure if there was a player in the class that kind of captured your imagination from their highlights the same way Kenneth Walker did. Let the people know what you love so much about him. Um, yeah, it's just he's the best rusher in the class. Like he's better than Brees Hall. Like when you go watch it, because he can just do more with less. Like Brees Hall's a good player, but Kenneth Walker, I think he potentially has elite upside as a running back. <clears throat> And when you just watch the way he moves, how fluid he is, you know, he's got a lot of wiggle. Like typically those are guys you don't have to worry about being bad receivers, right? If they can turn their hips, they can get look back to the quarterback. They can work a little bit down the field, all those sort of things. Um, some of these situations, I get it. We would ideally like our running backs to have pass, you know, receiving prowess in college because that makes it easier. And the hit rate is so much better, which is a, it's a big part of why we like Brees Hall, right? We've seen both components of his game in college that makes him the clear RB1, you know, from the class. Uh, makes him a guy that's also going higher in fantasy drafts despite also playing on another team that may not be that good with the Jets, but at least we know there's there's a chance, right? Because Zach Wilson could get better. They've got weapons around him. But at the end of the day, like what I really did love with Walker is just watching like he's a split zone clinic. So like split zone, um, you know, you're kind of starting off to one side and then you just make that little middle or backside cut. Like it's pretty much the way the play works. And Kenneth Walker, like the jump cut, I get it. Like it, it, it you know, you don't want to get like overly involved in these things where you're just like, oh my God, it's so pretty. That's the player I have to have. Because sometimes those players are actually making cuts they don't need to make, you know. But when you watch Kenneth Walker, like it really is an absolute thing of beauty. And to and what you mentioned, the thing that really caught my eye with the data is I went back and I looked at all of inside zone, outside zone, and then all of the gap concepts. So man, power, pulling lead, counters, traps, and just looked at the things we care about. Yards after contact, missed tackles, force, explosive rush rate, and then which players were really consistent across all the buckets. And the two best players in the class, uh, well, actually the best player clearly was Kenneth Walker, whenever you want to grade him that way. In fact, Grease, Brees Hall, Grease Hall, Grease Hall. <laughs> oh my God. Um, Brees Hall. <laughs> 
I'm an idiot. Brees Hall, uh, inside zone was terrible. Outside zone, really good, which is where he landed. So that's great. And he was eh, okay in man and power. But like when you look, look at Kenneth Walker, uh, 4.4 yards after contact and inside zone with a 28% missed tackle force rate and an explosive rush rate. Those are carries of 10 yards or more, 16%. You throw them over an outside zone, 5.4 yards after contact, 24% missed tackles force, explosive run rate of 25%. 25%. That is way, way, way up there. And then the same thing in power. You folks don't need me to you know, name off every one of them. But the big takeaway is just like studying those schemes. He was absolutely uh, by far and away like the guy that showed to have the most complete profile across all different types of schemes that you want to put him in. Now, Seahawks, what do they use? Inside zone is their absolute number one favorite thing to run. Um, and he's really good at that. Right now, going off the board as the RB29, right in that group of Miles Sanders, Clyde Edwards Lair, and Cordero Patterson. I have him RB32, Dwayne, so I'm not like significantly lower on him, but out of that group, like I'm probably taking the guys I'm more convinced are starting with the pass catching role. Yeah, and I think that's right. I think that's right. You know, um, Kenneth Walker is a guy that I've got to move down. Like he's, you know, again, I'm working on my. Ranks today, going to have them all updated for everybody. So you guys will be able to check them out on Saturday. And then, you know, you look at them again next week if you want. Um, so tell me, Ian, if you have him above or below. A lot of these are going to say below, I know, but I just got to go through it for myself. So what about Antonio Gibson? I would take, uh, let me see where I have him. I think I have, I have Gibson ahead. Okay. Um, and you're going to take him, you're going to take Josh Jacobs over him? I would. It's just Miles Sanders over like him. you said, man, at least those, at least those guys for sure have their early down role. We don't even know if that's well, and the Raiders could be a really good team. Like the Raiders, yeah. you know, you know, they're projected for eight and a half wins in a division where every other team is projected for 10. And I don't necessarily like, so, think the Washington offense is going to be a dumpster fire. Um, I think I the think. Washington offense could actually end up being okay. Um, yeah. I, I agree with you. So I think where he's going to end up landing is kind of in that AJ Dillon range somewhere around there that's probably where i'm going to put him and just go ahead and give dylan the edge because the packers are a better offense and so if everything works out right for aj dylan and something did happen to a to uh, aaron jones aj dylan rb1 season if rashad penny goes down week one and we know all of a sudden that kenneth walker is the lead back for the seahawks in a really crappy offense like what is it? It's probably an RB two. <laughs> you know, yeah. he's not immediately going to be in the top six though. Like, you know, we might have AJ Dillon. So I guess that's the way I need to, I got to kind of rethink through it. I haven't, I haven't moved him yet. So, Hey, this is up. This people hearing us work through some process like here on the fly. So my guess is that's about where I'll slot him, which would move him. I have him at 24 right now, just like as a young talent, but that would move him down to like 28, 29. I will say, I think what where he's going to be a nice target. I'm trying to find my article from last year, but I did some research last year looking at the change in draft position from running backs from their first year to the second year, and we always see these guys skyrocket. I think it was like the average day two running back moved up at least like nine spots. Running back rank, not even overall rank, so it would be a lot more than nine spots when compared to wide receivers and tight ends and stuff like that as well. And that was basically my reasoning for like, hey – you know, in keeper leagues where you have a chance to keep these guys for an extra year, guys like Trey Sermon, Javante Williams, I think could win a tiebreaker versus someone else because of that expected 2022 upside. Now we saw how 
One of those went really well. One of those did not go well. And I think that's possible for Kenneth Walker as well. But that would kind of be my tiebreaker, Dwayne. And, you know, Dylan has some upside as well that, you know, we'll talk about when we get into our uh, NFC North squads. But, like, I have Kenneth Walker right next to Michael Carter and Melvin Gordon, uh, James Cook and Devin Singletary. Like, I would probably – yeah, I mean, i take Walker over those guys particularly. If we knew, if we knew Walker keep- could get any of the passing that work, like, that would change the whole equation, right? Yeah. The, the problem is – a trail a team that's going to trail more than most teams in the league they're going to be the seahawks are going to be down by four or more points a lot and if they don't trust walker on passing downs they're going to be in passing situations you know all the time just because of the nature of the game script and so that's just that's the scariest thing for me it's less you know, rashad penny's a good player too right and they've got a split but the scariest thing is like well if he can't get on the field you know, in passing and maybe he will. Right. Um, but right now. And so that's the story I would be tracking for the Seahawks through the preseason, you know, is okay. I mean, there's really nothing to track about the receivers. We know DK Metcalf is good and we know the quarterbacks suck. Right. <laughs> um, but for the running backs, I at least want to know, is there a chance, right. That we're missing something here and Penny or Walker, or actually we do find out one of them's, you know, more likely to get the, the long down and distance and the two minute offense work. And they're not going to use the third back this year. Like that would be a positive development, you know, for one of those two players. But right now I just, I have my, I have a hard time projecting that. And there's another small thing, not really a small thing, but the offensive line, which we haven't talked about a lot here. We're going to have an offensive line episode at some point this offseason. It does matter, but for certain running backs, like we didn't care about Najee Harris and the Steelers last year because we knew that he was going to have enough volume to make up for it, which he ended up having. Like, I don't think people had a problem with James Robinson and the Jaguars offensive line when he's getting, you know, pushing for 300 touches with good health. So when you have that sort of guaranteed volume, no, you don't need to worry about a bad offensive line. But for early down grinders, potentially in the committee, that's where it does come into play. And right now, PFF has the Seahawks 2022 offensive line ranked as our 32nd dead last uh, ranked unit. So here it was the blurb from Mike Renner's article on the offensive lines. There's quite obviously a lot of hope for the future with the talent Seattle has brought into the fold, but this has crash and burn potential. Starting two rookie offensive tackles, both from air raid offenses, is a scary proposition. And considering Gabe Jackson's decline in recent years, there's not a single quality starter this unit can rely on. So, Dwayne, we don't have the good offensive line. We don't have a good pass down role. We don't have a good offense. I, I think it's pretty reasonable to be below consensus on these guys. Yeah, I think it's fine. <laughs> Wide receivers. I don't have anything to add. I think yes. Answer is yes. Wide receivers. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, D. Eskridge, Freddie Swain, and Marquise Goodwin. DK Metcalf is so good. But so is Tyler Lockett. Looking at these two since they've entered the league, well, just from 2019 to 2021, Lockett's been in the league a little bit longer, but 102 wide receivers with at least 100 targets. Metcalf is 21st in PFF receiving grade. Lockett's 18th. Yards per route run, Metcalf is 23rd. Lockett's 19th. Targets per route run, Metcalf 40th. Lockett 45th. Sounds like the Metcalf contract situation will get figured out. It didn't look great. There were a lot of trade rumors earlier in the offseason. But in the month of May, we have Metcalf say the following. I think we are going to get something done. I think I'm going to be Seattle for the next coming years. And then Pete Carroll, who basically dodged every single question about the Metcalf situation for a while, he said in May, we want him to be here. He wants to be here. We'll figure it out. It'll just take us some time, but we'll get it done. 
I am tentatively expecting Metcalf to get the long-term deal in Seattle. So if we can take that slightly off the table, Dwayne, it's just trying to figure out what these guys are going to be able to do with Geno and or Drew Locke under center. It wasn't terrible last year, particularly for Metcalf. I mean, in those four games with Geno, wide receiver nine, wide receiver 34, wide receiver 12, wide receiver nine. Locke was actually one that suffered a little bit, 38, 69, 75th, and of course a wide receiver five finish mixed in there. So no, I'm not going to take away Metcalf's like 80-yard touchdown against the Saints. He's so good. He has that in his regular range of outcomes. But, man, Dwayne, this is such a bad offense. Everything we just said about these running backs and just needing any help from the offensive environment also applies to Metcalf and Lockett. They're great. We know they're great. You know they're great. The listeners know they're great. Everything else in this offense is objectively bad. How do we rank Metcalf and Lockett? Because due to all this just overall kind of gross nature of the offense, they're more affordable than ever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Metcalf, the thing I, the advantage he has is, you know, Tyler Lockett, like living on the magic of the efficiency that he and Russ, you know, have had. And just those, you know, those moon, those moon balls, right. Just dropping them right in where the height, nothing matters. You know, Lockett could be, you know, 12 inches shorter than the guy covering him and it doesn't matter. And you lose that whenever you go to Geno Smith or Metcalf picks up, well, I'm the big target. You may not be as accurate as Russell Wilson, but just throw it to me. You know, just put it in range of me. And so I have them further than I've ever had them apart. The other part that starts to creep in, some guys that we've talked about, you know, on on the other pods is, right, you at least have to start factoring in for Tyler Lockett now that he is age 30. Like, that doesn't mean that that's where the cliff's going to come. He also gets to play slot, which typically helps, but he's not your traditional slot receiver. He's a down-the-field slot receiver, right? Not a guy you're just working on, you know, a four-yard drag, right? So they're very different, like, how you – earn those types of targets and having a quarterback that can execute on them, I think matters a lot. And so for me, like Metcalf this year, I've got him sitting right now at wide receiver 20 Um, on FFPC. Thanks fantasy mojo. He's going 19 on underdog. He's going 23. And then on Tyler Lockett, I've actually got him at wide receiver 48. I'm not even drafting him. Um, you know, FFPC, he's one Oh, uh, so FFPC is 44 and over on underdog, he's 45. So I'm pretty close, you know, ADP, but I haven't drafted Lockett once I've drafted DK Metcalf once on, uh, probably got 15, 16 teams right now. And I've only got one share even of DK Metcalf. Like, and honestly on the Metcalf one, he slid a little bit and, um, my hope honestly was, well, maybe he can just force a trade, <laughs> you know, or the Seahawks do something dumb and give away some capital for, you know, uh, you know, a Baker Mayfield or a Jimmy Garoppolo. We get some sort of just, even we could us an upgrade where we could at least tell ourselves a story, right? That there's an upgrade, even though neither one of those guys may not be that much of an upgrade over what they have. We've seen Garoppolo at least support, right? You know, uh, fantasy weapons, right? We haven't seen that yet from Geno Smith or from Drew Locke. I got Lockett a few times when he probably fell like 20, 30 picks past, you know, where he was supposed to be going. But that's the only time I'm going to go out on a limb. I have him wide receiver 40, but that's something that probably needs to be adjusted a little bit more. DK Metcalf wide receiver 18. Maybe he needs to drop a little bit. I will say with Metcalf, like he has just continued to fall. And now he's at the bottom of that wide receiver two tier that has a bunch of talented wide receivers with if iffy situations. So I usually just find myself, though, taking Terry 
Terry McLaurin at that point in the draft. And I think that's the big thing with uh, the lack of Metcalf exposure, Dwayne. Like, he's still not going quite low enough where we have to completely just – it's not like it's DK Metcalf versus, you know, another bad player. We can actually take someone that's also a good player just in a far better offense. Like, just looking at the running backs involved in that area. Like, yeah, he's going right around – Travis Etienne, Cam Akers, Brees Hall, Terry McLaurin, like Gabriel Davis. I'm probably going to be taking darts on those guys in Metcalf more times than not. Yeah, me too. Um, and the thing with Metcalf is you could even start to argue, like once you get to Cortland Sutton and some of these other guys, you know, you're kind of like, well, do I want Metcalf or do I want that? You know, I, I want right. that. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you at least know you have the, the, the quarterback. Um, now with Metcalf, just before we move on, absolute alpha is what he's going to be. Um, dude, his targets per route run last year against man coverage, 41%, 41% of the time he had man coverage, the Seahawks quarterbacks went to him. Unfortunately, only see some see man coverage about 30% of the time in the league, 70% of the time you're going to be dealing with zone. And that was his challenge. Only a 21% targets per route run against zone. Again, that's one year that can change on a year over year. That's not necessarily a sticky data point. Just one year. Some of these players you will notice like over three or four years are like, wow, their team just goes to them in zone. Their team just go, or they're just really good against man. Um, but then some of these guys are kind of in between and they'll flip flop around, but it just was so, they were just so different. Like the 41 versus the 21%, but, but the, you know, looking at DK, man, 25% target share last season, 21% targets per route run, still a hyper young player, only going to be 24.8 years old um, going into the season. His PPR points per route run still at a 0.49, just below like the elites. But like, look, if if DK Metcalf was getting to play with Dak Prescott, was getting to play with Josh Allen, we had this conversation, you know, yesterday, you know, and I think Deontay Johnson is another guy. Like if you put any of these guys down here, DJ Moore, Deontay Johnson, Terry McLaurin, DK Metcalf, they are elite talents. You put any one of them on a pass heavy offense with a really good quarterback, they're going to be in the top 12. Um, in the way that I would rank them, you know, based on the process that I use, because there's no doubt that these guys are all top 12 talents right now. Just their situations are so bad. I'd even put Metcalf potentially in a tier above some of those guys, man. Like he's been a top five dynasty wide receiver for a reason. The stuff he's been able to do coming to the league, the ceiling really is just limitless. And that's why I don't want to drop him too far. And we've talked about this on some of the best ball streams. Like there is a scenario where Metcalf puts up big numbers because he's one of the best wide receivers in the game still. So still have some work we need to do in the off season, you know, looking at the performance of some of these, you know, just lowest ranked offenses. Can they still enable the wide receivers and, you know, how much of the wide receiver, you know, profile is due to specifically their talent versus maybe the quarterback attached questions that we will continue to answer throughout this lovely off season. But yes, targets during Geno Smith starts Lockett at 30 Metcalf at 22, Freddie Swain had 11. So at least we were seeing a tendency for him to zero in on those big two guys. But yeah, Dwayne, the, the difference in production was pretty striking, even though Lockett had the additional eight targets. He had 21 catches for 246 scoreless yards. Metcalf, 19 catches, 245 yards, and five touchdowns. Like, five touchdowns in four games with Geno, man. Again, like, he's that good. He could still, we could wake up at the end of December and like, oh, shit, Metcalf had 13 touchdowns this year. Yeah, and again, his talent can overcome. any. A lot of these players can, and I, I agree with you, like, on Metcalf, the way he can overcome, like, DJ Moore doesn't score long bomb touchdowns, right? Metcalf can. Like, he could have eight of his come that way. Deontay Johnson doesn't score long bomb touchdowns. I still think he's probably going to end up being better than that, better at that than what people think. A lot of it was the way the offense was getting ran. But 
Terry McLaurin, what does he have? He can score those long bomb touchdowns. So anytime you're dealing with an offense that might not be as good, like I always like having that in my back pocket, That right? Like the player could just go outright win and they've got this ability just to break a long play. And so I think Terry McLaurin and DK Metcalf, especially DK, to your point, like kind of having, you know, being a tier above, you know, the other guys, because he can really at any moment DK can score from anywhere. You can hit him on a five yard slant and he can stiff arm three guys and then outrun the rest. You want to just throw it over the top of everybody. You know, he can do that as well. So I, and, and then if you get down inside, you know, the 10 yard line and you just want to, you know, throw the high point pass, the my ball thing like DK can do that. So like he, he has a lot of tools in the toolbox to still, you know, kind of insulate himself even from the terrible team. How many touches do you think uh Seahawks second round pick D Eskridge had as a rookie? Uh, I don't know if he had any. Ten games, he had fourteen touches. <laughs> yeah, it was not good. I know um, he, he was. He, banged he, up. He, he was battling injuries that whole time. Yeah, he was. But it's like, man. But again, I, third receiver on this offense. Don't care. You think he's? But I know. But I was just. I was setting that up to be like. And the sad part is, like Freddie Swain could just start over him this year again. Yeah. So we'll see. Of course, we don't care about him either way. Just something to keep in mind. Looking at these tight ends: Noah Fant, Will Disley, Colby Parkinson. Noah Fant is still kind of where's his ADP right now because he is someone that we're not seventeen FFPC twenty two underdog, not terrible specifically the underdog ADP again like you know we had this conversation about Alberto like if we have some signs of them being a good player which we do with Noah Fant it's you know if you want to take him as your late round tight end dart I'm not going to sit here and tell you definitively no but man Dwayne it'd be a hell of a lot easier to wrap our minds around Noah Fant they didn't just give Will freaking Disley that's the a problem three, yeah like come on that's three years problem, 24 million 10 million guaranteed here's a total list of the tight ends making more than Will Disley and I'm just reading this list to be like you know if he's making this amount of money you would think the usage could be somewhat similar or at least like why would you pay him this amount of money if you're not so tight ends making more total money Kittle, Kelsey, Goddard, Andrews, Najoku, Jonu Smith, Taysom Hill, uh, Hunter Henry, Kyle Pitts, Zach Ertz, Darren Waller, Tyler Higby, Logan Thomas. That's it. Other than Jonu and Hunter Henry and Taysom Hill, because he's Taysom freaking Hill, they're all like featured, very receiving friendly tight ends that are going to be used heavily in their offense. And my God, man, Disley has never had even 30 targets in a season. They keep him out there. I'm not hating on him as a real life football player. It's just so tough to get behind Noah Fan here. The Seahawks did have the fourth highest rate of using two tight end sets. So, yeah, Disley had all this usage last year. He played at least 34% all of his games, uh, game high snap rate of 88%. Like, that's why Gerald Everett was able to go out there and do some th- decent things with Russ under center. But Russ isn't under center anymore. Now it's Geno or Drew Locke. We're still going to have Disley there. We have Noah Fant, who has had multiple ankle injuries, rib, foot, shoulder, most recently knee issues. And let's face it, he hasn't exactly lived up to his standing as a first-round pick, despite having top 15 efficiency marks in pretty much anything you want to look at. Only Jonu and George Kittle have more yards after the catch per reception. I will say, Dwayne, just from the eye test, I was really excited about Noah Fant after his rookie season. And I think because of those injuries I've listed, they've limited him. But I almost get like Juju Smith-Schuster vibes where he just hasn't looked to like the same sort of beast to me this year as he did um, a couple years ago. Maybe he turns it around, but he's not going to have an improved QB situation. It doesn't look like he's going to be getting more usage. I, I have not drafted Noah Fant yet. If he keeps sliding way past the 20s, okay. But what are we looking at? 60, 65 targets in a terrible offense? I don't think it's worth chasing. Pretty much. And so the thing is, though, he's so cheap. Like, if a lot of times he's like my tight end 
two or tight end three. I don't want to say a lot of times, but like he's honestly, he's my most rostered Seahawk just because he goes late. I know it's a talent. Um, you know, he matches up with all the NFC West, AFC West stuff too. So like, that's just a tiebreaker bonus. So a lot of times, like I'll be mixing three, like I've had several teams where I've had like him plus Higby, uh, plus Alberto him plus Higby plus Irv Smith, you know? So it, he's one of these guys I love tacking on, especially if I waited at tight end or if I get sniped because Ian starts a run right in front of me, <laughs> um, you know, by when I say a run, uh, a two tight end run of the last two in my tier called Zach Ertz and Rob Gronkowski. Um, like that's the kind of draft where Noah Fant might end up on my uh, team because we know at some point, like the Seahawks are going to manage their way into a couple of shootouts, right? With, with those other really good teams, just by the nature of like, we get 17 chances, like the Seahawks can maybe do it twice, you know? And so uh, maybe you get something out of Noah Fant in that game. Uh, would you, hold but, on. Would you, yeah. would you take Noah Fant, Noah Fant or Hayden Hurst? Uh, I would take Fant, but it, yeah, I have Fant. And Hayden Hurst is a lot cheaper in drafts. I, Hayden Hurst is my most rostered tight end three. Like he's going pick 23. He's the 23rd uh, running back on underdog at pick 182. Uh, well, I guess they're closer than I thought. 22 and 172. Yeah, they're closer than I thought. But Hayden Hurst, I get a lot. Yeah, I think he should. I mean, look, he projects as worst case, similar to Fant, a part-time tight end. But I think Hurst has a better chance of taking over Drew Sample's role than Fant does of kicking Will Disley out of the rotation. They're both former former first-round picks. I know Hurst is a little older. I don't think Hurst has shown quite the same level of upside as Noah Fant. But you look at the best season that Fant had in Denver versus, you know, uh, Hurst's 2020 season with the Falcons. And I'm pretty sure Hurst actually had probably the higher overall fantasy finish from that with pretty similar targets, man. Like, that's my issue with Noah Fant. It's just, I have him tight end 24. Where he's going is fine, but just guys like Hunter Henry, Hayden Hurst, like Cole Komet. I'll put Logan Thomas behind him because the injury stuff, but it, I don't think we're going to be sitting here saying, man, really wish we had more Noah Fant. <laughs> No, we're not gonna, but that, but the thing is like, we're not going to say that really probably about most of these tight ends, like two of these tight ends are going to end up surprising and then everybody's going to be high on them next year. And then they're going to suck and they're going to go back down because of things they can't control. Um, you know, so it's, it's, you know, we've talked about the tight ends plenty, but I, I think it's fair, you know, where you got him. And I thought like the, you know, talking through just, just then like with Hayden Hurst, you know, I agree with that. I think that's fine. All right. This could be a sad Borderline depressing recap, but we got to do it. Geno Smith, Drew Locke for now the quarterbacks. We don't want anything to do with either of them in fantasy football land. And yeah, let's leave it at that. Running backs for Shad Penny, Kenneth Walker, expecting them to lead the charge. Hope we're wrong about Chris Carson's outlook, but just doesn't look good. Too many concerns coming back from that neck surgery to warrant even a late round dart at this point. Expecting things to be tentatively split up pretty evenly between Penny and Walker, but we are going to be below Kansas below consensus due to the fact that neither guy projects to really have much of a target share and like they're in a bad offense with an early down role there's just a lot of guys with higher upside going in a similar area of the draft at wide receiver love the talent hate the offense obviously dk metcalf tyler lockett more willing to throw darts on metcalf because he is that damn good and we do need to consider lockett's potentially having the best years of his career behind him ultimately at this point if they both keep getting pushed down further and further maybe we can buy the dip but again just not someone we're gonna be really sticking our neck out there for and at tight end noah fant is cheap enough that you can kind of wrap your mind around it. He has some decent underlying uh, stuff, but again, I would still take guys like Hayden Hurst amongst many other late-round tight ends ahead of Fant because 
They paid Will Disley. They're going to keep using Will Disley. And once again, there's just not enough upside in this offense to think really anyone other than Metcalf has some sort of extravagant best case scenario we should really be chasing. Sound about right, Dwayne. Yeah, and I think the question, the only question people really want to know is like if these ADPs hold and assume you're in a draft, you only get one draft. You get to do one draft this whole season. And everybody that we've talked about goes around their ADP. No, Are you going to no have one. any Seahawks? Not, not a single Seahawk, no. Nope. Yep, if I get one draft, I'm not drafting any Seahawks. If the Girl Scout came to the door and said <laughs> you have to draft one Seahawk, I think we'd probably both agree as DK Metcalf. Exactly. And, but if we're in one draft, again, I'm taking Terry McLaurin. I'm just saying if the Girl Scout was at the door in your yeah. one draft. No, but this this is a good point where, uh, you know, and as we talked about um, on our 49ers episode, and I would agree that Ayuk, like Metcalf, when you have a player that's shown the ceiling that both these guys, and obviously Metcalf's, I think, in a slightly different level, but Ayuk's still very good in his own right. When you do have guys with that level of ceiling and you are doing a bunch of drafts, then you do want to get exposure to them. Like You can't fully fade someone like DK Metcalf because they have that best-case scenario ceiling. And to be fair, I think Ayuk, to a lesser extent, uh, has a similar pedigree as that. So... Dwayne, we have officially finished 24 team previews. we got eight more to go. Going to take us through the early weeks of July. Uh, This podcast is going to be released on Friday of next week. We're recording this on June 17th. You'll be getting back from vacation. I'm going on vacation over to Long Beach Island on the East Coast. Get my tan on. Uh, I look, I look, you know, I look pretty damn white compared to everyone. Uh, I'm really noticing it with you now. I got to keep my uh, look when I keep underdog up. I look more tan because of the black background. But oh, when I go with you. my word doc, like now, now I'm a ghost. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just need to all of a sudden I need to go night mode everywhere so people think I have a tan. That's my goal. Night mode. The other thing I've noticed is like with well, a lot of the podcasters now, you got the mood lighting behind you. You know, <laughs> set set your mood, Ian. You know, and you're you're a mood guy. You always got the vibe going. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, looking to- forward to uh, you know spending some time under a under a umbrella on a beach with a drink that has a straw, or maybe just popping a top. Um, I've got my dad going. My dad has never gone on vacation with my wife and I, Amanda, and the kids, and so my dad and my stepmom are coming, and then my brother and all his kids are coming. So we're gonna we've got a big house that we're all going to be staying in together down in florida so i'm looking forward to it never got to really do this you know like this with my dad we had vacations when i was young my mom has gone on them with me in the past but we got finally got my dad to say yeah so my brother and i were super we're excited Dwayne, you have earned it my man please put your laptop away for a week let your families get all the Dwayne they want because once you're back, we're going to be back here talking each and every day, trying to help the loyal listeners of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast win all sorts of money and championships this year. So hope you guys continue to enjoy this series. And again, we'll be back with the AFC or NFC North, probably AFC North uh, starting next week. So for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks to those for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. 